0: Well, Jesus, of course, on the night of his death, uh, faced an overwhelming obstacle. He had been preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He uh, had come to launch a revolution, and it appeared that he was about to fail. All the powers of the kingdom of Caesar were revealed against him, and in just a few hours they would put him to death, and the revolution would end. Or so it seemed. Three days later, God raised Christ from the dead and took what appeared to be an overwhelming obstacle and turned it into an opportunity for all people to be saved. And that is kind of a paradigm of how God works in the world. This is something that God is always doing. He's always taking overwhelming obstacles and turning them into opportunities. He's helping us see things that scare us and overwhelm us, and he helps us revision them in a way that we see an opportunity to glorify God and pursue his kingdom. And and last week, in the last two weeks, I've asked you to to think about this question. Uh, And the question is this, what opportunity has God given me that others might see as an overwhelming obstacle? Let me ask that again. What opportunity has God given me that others might see as an overwhelming obstacle? And as we've been reading through the story of David and Goliath, we've been asking, uh, how does this story help us learn how to turn overwhelming obstacles into opportunities for God's glory. Goliath, of course, represents the ultimate obstacle, uh, the the, the greatest challenge, the biggest problem you could face. He represents uh, everything that keeps Israel from fulfilling her, her destiny. He represents forces that put people in bondage. He represents that thing in your life that keeps you from moving into God's future for you. And as we saw last week, the, the, the soldiers of Israel were paralyzed. They were stuck. And that's what happens sometimes when we face these overwhelming obstacles. They can, they can cause great fear. And when we're fearful, we don't move. We're paralyzed. We, we, we just lose our sense of calling and momentum in the world. Well... A young shepherd, who also happens to be the king of Israel, comes to the battle line, and he sees this as an overwhelming opportunity instead of an obstacle. And Saul hears about his, uh, his kind of chant on the battle line, about why is this Philistine defying the living God, and Saul's desperate for solutions. He hears about David. He calls for him, and David sees an opportunity. David says, Hell king, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul is an older man now. He's a weary man. He's a cynical man. And you can almost see him slump in his chair by the fire. And he says to David, you are not able. You are but a youth. I wonder how many times an older generation says this to a younger generation. I wonder how many times God, God gives a young person a, a prophetic vision, a way of seeing uh, a, a, a new approach to a problem that the older generation has wrestled with and is failing at. And the elder says, you are but a youth and you don't understand. But isn't it often the young who actually see opportunities where the older generation often just sees obstacles. Now, I think there's a a great place, if we think of our church as a village, I think there's a very profound place for old, wise men, old, wise women to mentor the young. That's all through the Bible. The, The role of the elder can save you a lot of pain, and we have some wonderful elders in our body that are pouring and investing their lives in the young. But there also needs to be a place in our body for the Davids who can come to the elders and say, don't let your heart fall. This is an opportunity. You know, one thing you might do if you're facing a Goliath and and maybe you're more on my side of the the calendar, you might call a David, take him to lunch, and say, hey, I got this situation. What, What do you think? I had lunch with Troy McNeil this, this Wednesday, and Troy was, was here uh, a number of years ago when he was a student at Johnson and was on staff here for a while, and now he's gone off. He's a pastor at Grace and Peace Church with Jason Johansson, and just doing a profound job. They're just doing a wonderful job, and we've started to get together about every couple of months, and I just asked Troy questions, and he's become such an able pastor and he almost always sees a problem with a different perspective than I do. One night we were sitting at a shepherding team meeting, and we have got a lot of wisdom in that meeting. We've got a great mixture in that meeting. I, I, I love the way we work together. And we were kind of bumping into something at one point. We didn't quite know which way to go. And I remember, it, Aaron Callahan doesn't say a lot in our meetings, but tonight somebody said, "Aaron, what do you think? She said about two sentences. It just kind of broke a hole, and we started to see it differently. So if you're facing a Goliath tonight, maybe take a David to lunch. Well, David explains to Saul why he's ready to face this Goliath, and he says it's because he's a shepherd, and he tells him, he says, look, uh, uh, Saul, when I was a shepherd, I would go out and I would fight the sheep, or fight the sheep. <laughs> that's how I would shepherd. No, that's, I would go out and fight the lion and I'd fight the bear and I'd go out and I'd grab him by the, he says, by the beard. And I guess that would be a lion. You don't think bears have beards. But he'd grab by the beard and God would deliver me. And he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And I love this and I want you to see how how different this is from the narrative of all the superhero movies. They are, I know I can do this because I've done it before and I have superhero powers. This is not that. I know I can do this because God delivered me before. That's where his confidence comes from. You see this in the Psalms. David 33rd Psalm, he writes this again and again. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior's not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it can't rescue. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. I think one of the reasons God allows us to to run into these overwhelming obstacles, I think one of the reasons why you have that Goliath in your life is because God wants to teach us that it's not about our army, it's not about our weapons, it's about His strength working through us. And I don't know about you, I can read a lot of books on faith and dependence. I can hear great sermons on it. But it's not until I'm up against a Goliath and I see him deliver me, that I really learn it. Well, Saul puts his own armor on this young warrior. And our text says, He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he'd not tested them. And finally, David put them off. I think there's a lot in this little story. (laughs) Because when you face a challenge, when you face an overwhelming obstacle, when you face a Goliath, the first temptation is to go look for somebody who's done it before, right? That's not a bad thing. Uh, To go find a mentor, to go look at a case study, to go read a book, to go hear a podcast, to look at a mother who's done it well, to look at a, a lawyer who's done it well, I don't think God's against that. That's how you, you learn. But, but this, get this. You can't stay there. You can't wear another person's armor and face the Goliath that God brings into your life. When Sandy and I first started our family, we, we had a number of godly examples around us. And uh, we didn't know what we were doing. And so we said, well, we're going to raise our kids like that family and that family and that family. And that was very helpful for a while. But then after a while, we started to notice that the armor chafed. And that we weren't able to wear it like they wore it. She wasn't able to be a mother like her. I wasn't able to be a father like her. And the Lord gave us the freedom to ask Okay, we've seen all the good examples. We know the theories. We've seen the books. We've, we've had the Sunday school classes. Now, what do we, how do we do it based on who God made us to be? And I think we get into a lot of frustration and envy and jealousy with, with each other when we're, we're kind of trying to wear Saul's armor, and we have great freedom when we begin to have the permission to just step into our future with the unique way God made us, even if nobody else parents that way, nobody else spends their weekends that way, but we do. That's what David does. He just picks up the sling because that's all he knows. Late in life, uh, the poet May Sarton wrote a poem called Now I Become Myself, and the opening lines are, now I become myself. It's taken time, time, many years and places. I have been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces. You know, psychologists tell us that everyone learns to do that from a young age because it's all we know is to put on Saul's armor. And so we put on masks to kind of present to the world. Of, Of who we are, but often that mask is a false self that hides the true self from the world. Thomas Merton writes about this in a book called New Seeds of Contemplation. Merton's dangerous to to read out loud um, (laughs) because it's just hard to follow, but I'm going to read it anyway. Um, Every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life, and such a self cannot help but be an illusion. We are not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish most about ourselves, the ones we are born and raised with and which feed the roots of sin. A life devoted to maintaining and expanding this false self, this shadow, is what's called a life of sin. To be a saint means to be my true self. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is, in fact, the problem of finding out who I truly am and of discovering my true self, my essence, or core. Trees and animals have no problem. God makes them what they are without consulting them, and they're perfectly satisfied. If you know, if you ever wished you were your dog? <laughs> I, that sounds terrible, but sometimes I come home at night and I look at my dogs and they're just, and I just, <laughs> they just don't worry about the things that I worry about. You know, bone, that's the one thing they worry about. You know, you deal with that and they're all right. To be a saint means to be my true self. God makes Animals, what they are, and they're satisfied. But with us, it's different. God leaves us free to be whatever we like, and we can be ourselves or not as we please. We are at liberty to be real or unreal. We can be true or false. The choice is ours. We may wear now one mask, now another, and never, if we so desire, appear with our own true face. But we can't make these choices with impunity. If we have chosen the way of falsity, we must not be surprised that truth eludes us when we finally come to need it and that confusion reigns. So here's one reason I think God allows Goliaths to lumber into your life is because that's when we figure out the false self isn't working anymore. those techniques and strategies, Saul's armor that we put on, it just starts to chafe, and we realize, I'm going to die if I fight this thing in my father's armor. And so we say, you know, I've tried to be like the mommy bloggers, but that's just not working for me. We've tried to build our marriage like the book says it's supposed to be, but that armor doesn't fit us anymore. I've tried to be the funny guy all my life. Nobody's laughing. I've worn the mask of the intellectual all my life, but there is so much more to me than my mind that I'm dying to share it with people, but I'm scared to death at the same time. And this takes such great faith because we rely on the false self to protect us from pain. And when you strip off the false self and you take off Saul's armor and you go into battle with all you've got, naturally, in Christ, stripped down and nothing but faith and a few stones... Then you learn whether he's real or not. That's when it gets interesting. So David faces Goliath. They do a little trash talking. God makes it clear that what this really is, or David makes it clear, is really a battle between gods. True God and his competitors. David lets his stone fly. It sinks into Goliath's forehead and then we read, there's no sword in the hand of David. And David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. So the Israelites are out the Philistines. And it's interesting, at the end, David keeps the sword and puts it away in his tent. I think that's an interesting detail about this story. Swords are, are powerful symbolically, aren't they? Um, one of the, one of the uh, books that, this is a sword that Dan brought back from uh, the mission field. And one of the things my son and I did when we were uh, young was we read the stories of King Arthur in the round table. We'd read them to him at night. Now I wonder about stories about cutting off heads with swords before you put your boy to bed. But anyway, we really liked it. And, of course, you know one of the great parts of this story is about a sword. And there's this sword that's stuck into a stone. It's called Excalibur. The great swords in mythology always have names. And the prophecy says that only the one who pulls out the sword will have the authority to be the king of England. Many come out, they try to they try to take it out. Only Arthur can pull it out. And when he pulls it out, it gives him authority over the rule to fight for justice. Well, I think that, that early symbol is, is embedded in our story as well. The sword that cuts off Goliath's head represents spiritual authority. And the ability to step into God's call on your life and do the things that God called you to do. I think that's what the sword symbolizes in the story. So, one of the things I think we want to ask as men and women on a quest for holiness how do I pull out the sword? How do I get the sword? It seems to me there are a lot of swordless men and women walking around. How do I get the spiritual authority that God wants me to have to walk in victory in this life? I don't think you can read a book about it. I don't think you can hear a sermon about it. I think you have to face Goliath in God's power and for God's glory. I think you have to visit the Valley of Elah. Face your fears in him if you're going to be able to pull out the sword. Let's pray.